The title of today's message is Checkmate. Checkmate. It's based, well, it's based on the Bible, but the inspiration for the message came from a painting uh, that should be put up on the screen behind me. I want to explain to you what this painting is of. This painting, uh, which usually doesn't have Edgewater on it, that's on there because you're at Edgewater. Uh, this, is a very, this is a very famous painting. I don't know how many of you are chess players, but uh, obviously the chess has a, uh, an international world championship. There's many, many tournaments that go on throughout the year. And this is one of the most famous paintings that's been turned into a mural at certain places where they play championships. A lot of times, if you ever watch chess on TV, uh, first of all, why are you doing that? Second of all, if you do, uh, you might see... I'm just kidding. Um, we like checkers down in the south. A little bit easier to understand. Moves a little bit quicker. Um, and if you ever do, um, you actually might see this in and around the chess players. Uh, what this actually is a picture of two young men playing chess, and you see an angel in the background... What this is supposed to depict is this guy over here is actually Satan. And this guy over here is just some random guy. And they're playing for his soul. So it's Satan has challenged him to a game. And if he loses, his soul is forfeit. That's a guardian angel supposed to be watching the game. You see the anguish on the young man's face is because he has just been checkmated. The name of the painting is called The Chess Player, but it has a nickname where most people refer to it as Checkmate. So this is a visual, visual imagery of Satan pulling somebody into a situation where he's able to call them out and say, checkmate, game over, you're done. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a time in your life where you felt like either concerning your salvation or your walk with God, concerning your faith level, concerning something that you've prayed about, that you've ever thought that in a way, maybe not in the exact words, that you've heard Satan whisper into your ear, checkmate, I got you. It was a good game. You tried hard, but your strategy didn't quite work out. Checkmate. I believe, and I'll tell you why towards the end of the sermon, what checkmate actually means, that checkmate could possibly be one of hell's favorite words to whisper. If the enemy has tried so many times, you see it over and over again, maybe in your own life, maybe in other people's lives, where he tries so hard to convince people that they are not worthy and they are not able to be loved by God. And that if they attempt to be loved by God and they attempt to go to a church, maybe they'll be accepted, but God's not really going to work on their behalf. There's so many evil things that come at us on a daily basis. Remember what Jesus Christ said? Remember the Bible, how it tells us don't even take any concern for what may happen tomorrow because the evils of today are worthy of themselves that today you're going to encounter so many things. And don't even worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. There's so many things to deal with on a daily basis. And I know you've seen it because I've seen it. I've seen good people come through the back door of a church. I've seen them make it all the way down to an altar. I've seen them fall down on their knees and cry out and ask for Jesus Christ into their lives. And then two or three weeks later, I've seen them back at the bar, lower than they were before, hooked on some new drug. I've even had friends who have accepted Christ and within a small amount of time ended up in prison. At some point in their life, they started down the slippery slope of separating a little bit from God. And eventually the devil whispered in their ear and said, it's been too long. You've done too much. You've gone too far. 
Checkmate. And they believe it. I want to read you some stories in the Bible very quickly. Let's go to Exodus chapter 14 and read about the children of Israel and what happened with Moses and Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 5. It was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. The king of Egypt in this story is a typology. The New Testament even clears it up and makes it quite clear as a typology of the enemy of Satan. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. They said, why have we done this? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? Then Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and then all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. Verse number 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them all of the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea. Beside... Those two names I'm not going to try to say. Verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And then they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done this? Why have you dealt this way with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. How many people do you know or how many times in your life have you asked for God to help you to be delivered from something? Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. Maybe you were addicted to cigarettes. Maybe you were addicted to some type of drug. Maybe it was a girlfriend. Maybe it was a boyfriend. And you're seeking after God and you're on your hands and your knees and you're begging and God sends you deliverance. Maybe he sends 10 different miracles to help deliver you out of the grip of that thing. And then you're running away from it. You're walking away from it. You're you're starting to run out of breath a little bit, but you're far, far away. And you've gotten away from that thing. And then you start to approach this vast, unknown Red Sea. And you have no way of understanding, where do I go from here? And so you've been delivered, maybe set free of this addiction. And then at some point in your life, You felt safe. You felt like you were far enough away and you sat down to relax. And then lo and behold, you turn around and the enemy has got 600 chariots and all the rest of the chariots and all the captain of his band and they're coming at you hardcore. And all of a sudden you're crying out and you're fearful. The first thing they did was cry out to God, but they didn't give God a chance to answer. Then they turned to Moses and said, Why did you lead us out here to die in Egypt? Isn't this a word that we told you it would have been better if we would have stayed there than came out here to die? Which is opposite of the word of God because Christ said, the worst thing you can do is come to me in the knowledge of me and understand and get deliverance and then turn back to the world. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. It's the worst thing you can do. So sometimes when fear gets a hold of you and grips you and the enemy begins to whisper in your ear, checkmate. Your fear reverses the word of God that you've relied on in your life and you start to speak the exact opposite into your own situation. God spoke to you and said, I have delivered you. Something happened and you turned around and said, I haven't been delivered. God spoke to you and said, you don't need this anymore. 
Something happened and you turned around and said, I need it. The word that was spoken to you, reverse it and you believe it. And it's based on fear. And the enemy says, checkmate. Stuck at the Red Sea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. I'll read to you real quick about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Starting in verse number 14. Daniel 3 and 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you do not worship... You will be cast that same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Checkmate. How many of you have ever heard that? Oh, you're, are you sure you don't want to participate with the world? Are you sure that you want to be that different? Are you sure that you want to speak up? Are you sure that you want to take a stand? Because if you do, bad things are going to happen. If you refuse to go to that company party because of the establishment that they're having it in, that's fine and well. Don't expect to have a job when you show up next week. If you refuse to partake of the king of beers because of the king of kings, that's great, but don't expect to have the same friends when you're done. Don't you think you could probably love God and get drunk on the weekends? Don't you think you could probably love God and walk into that establishment? Don't you think you could probably love God and partake of just a little bit of the world, and a little bit of sin? Don't you think you could probably love God and love your girlfriend or boyfriend all the way into the bedroom? Don't you think you could probably do both of those? Are you sure you just want to do one? Are you sure you want to take a stand and be different? Because if you do... That girlfriend or boyfriend might not be there the next day. That's fine, but you're going into the furnace of no more job for you. That's fine, but you're going into the furnace of no more friends for you. And who is that God that will deliver you? He's going to deliver you from that. Are you sure? You've been to all the mega churches. You've seen all the ministries. You don't feel like you've gotten much yet. Now you're going to take a stand. Now you're going to make a decision and you think God's going to deliver you because somebody told you that. But you've never experienced it. Are you sure you want to do that? Checkmate. I guess I could do both. Checkmate. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison. Acts chapter 16, verse number 19. Acts 16 and 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. They brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Verse 22, The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beat. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailers to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison 
and made their feet fast in the stocks. So you love God. So you serve God. Well, let me ask you a question that should change your whole perspective. There wouldn't be a Christian on the planet if everybody considered this question. Why do good things happen to bad people? If you serve an all-powerful, all-loving God who loves everybody and is powerful enough to do anything He wants, why would anything bad ever happen to a good person? So you love God. You came to church. You had a really good week. You had a really good month. You gave your life. Maybe you had a really good year. And then somebody got cancer. And then somebody got in a car wreck. And then somebody's niece or nephew passed away. And then your identity got stolen. And then hell turned everything against you. Then your friends backstabbed you. Then your pastor said something about you that he shouldn't have. Then your, your friends in church stabbed you in the back. So you love God. Why, in the name of God, are you bound up in prison, stripped naked, beat, put into stocks, put into chains? What are you going to do now? Why is this happening to you if you serve a good God? Why do bad things happen to good people? Checkmate. Done. Let me talk to you about Jonah. The enemy, the enemy caught wind of what Jonah wanted to do. He wanted to go, or he was called to go. He really didn't want to go. He was called to go to the most sinful nation on the planet at that time, Nineveh. Nineveh, which is over in the area of Iraq, Iran today. Nineveh. The most sinful place in the world. He got thrown off of a boat because he was going the wrong way. And I know what you've probably been taught, that he lived inside of a well or a large fish for three days and three nights. But if you read the scripture closely, it's really not what happened. He got thrown off of the boat and he actually drowned and died. Which is why Christ uses that example so specifically of himself. If you read it closely, it says, My soul is kept underneath the bars of the ground trying to escape. And it gives a brief description of hell and says that his soul was actually cast into hell and his body was inside of the, of the fish in order that his body would be preserved. And then three days later... God resurrected him out of the mouth of that fish onto the land of Nineveh. But let me tell you about, about Jonah. Let me tell you what the, what the devil wants to do. So you're called. So you want to get into ministry. You want to be an evangelist. You don't even need a, the title of a minister. You just want to minister to people. So you found God. You love God. You want to go out there and minister. Well, the devil's going to throw something in your way. And as soon as he gets the opportunity, the moment that you step out of your door to do something for God, he's going to kill it. He's going to do his best to kill it. So Jonah, you're called to go to Nineveh. Well, first of all, I'm going to operate in fear so that you don't even want to go. Well, then God's going to step in and he's going to take you there anyway. Well, I'm going to make sure that you drown so that you're not able to go. So now your body, you're kept inside of a huge fish. You've been, you've been dead. You've been swallowed up. Your ministry is dead. Your ministry has been swallowed up. It's no good. It's cast out. God doesn't want to use you. Because you're not faithful. Checkmate. Jesus. Let's think about this for a second. Jesus Christ stood in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He knew it was coming down the pipeline. He did everything perfectly right. 
He was the most powerful human being that ever walked the face of the planet. He was without sin, which means he shouldn't have died because the wages of sin is death. So he could have technically lived forever. He got down in the garden and said, not my will, but thy will be done. He was beaten. He was stripped. He was bludgeoned. He was absolutely tortured. He was hung on the cross. The devil had no idea what was going on. The Bible makes that clear later. He didn't know exactly who he was messing with. He said, you want to deliver people? You want to be the son of God? You want to do miracles? You want to lay hands on folks? I've got an idea. Why don't we nail you to a cross until you bleed to death? Checkmate. Are you ready for that level of sacrifice? Checkmate. But I want to tell you something very ironic that happened. Whenever hell decides to whisper in your ear, checkmate, heaven yells back, not so fast, not so fast. Checkmate means there are no more moves on the board. Checkmate is, comes from an Arabic word or phrase, sheikmat, which means the king is dead. So Satan whispers in your ear, checkmate, the king is dead. But then the king yells from heaven, not so fast. The guy that painted this painting literally wanted to show a young man losing his soul to the devil because the devil had him in checkmate. This is how ironic the world is and how amazing God is. There were two men that saw this in the Louvre in Paris, France. They walked by it and they looked at it and said, wow, what a nice painting. One kept going and one stayed. He was a professional chess master. He was looking at the board and it took him seven or eight minutes. And he turned around and said, we got to call the artist. We got to call whoever's in charge of this painting. Why is that? Because the king has one more move. He actually saw the painting and said, it's not checkmate like everybody's been thinking for so long. There's one more move on this board. And he showed within a few moves how that man actually had the devil right where he wanted him. And that guy should have won. So the world painted it. The devil says checkmate. And God says, I've got one more move. Here's the killer. Here's the amazing thing. In chess, if you call out a false checkmate, there's two things that can happen. Among gentlemen, many times the game is over. You yell checkmate and it wasn't checkmate. So guess what you get? Automatic loss. So the devil calls out checkmate and God says the king has one more move. And because he has one more move, you lose. If they're just following the rules of the game, then the guy that called false checkmate loses a turn. In other words, at the best, Satan can whisper checkmate. And God can say the king has one more move. And because he has one more move, he's actually got two more moves. In other words, I'm not only going to heal you, I'm going to make you whole. I'm not only going to deliver you, I'm going to empower you. I'm not only going to give you vision, I'm going to give you provision. I'm not only going to send you forth, I'm going to fight the battle before you go. Because the devil yelled checkmate and you still have one more move. Which means he loses a turn, the victory is yours. And he is done for if you will just believe it. That's why the book of James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations because the devil wants you down there and he wants to whisper in your ear, checkmate. And God is waiting for that moment. And once he whispers, the king is dead. God says, oh no, no, no. What do you think he said when Jesus was in the grave? Guess what, disciples? Guess what, everybody? The king is dead. Three days later, Jesus Christ showed up on the scene and said, actually, I had one more move. 
You never heard of it before. It's called resurrection. So what you thought was dead, Satan is actually a well alive. Not only am I alive, but now I control the entire universe. You lost a turn. I'm going to pour my spirit out from heaven. Not only am I not dead, I just multiplied myself a million times over. So good try. So sorry. Have a nice day. Checkmate on you. Your king is dead. One last portion of scripture that I'm hoping will help you when it comes to those times where you've lost a little bit of faith and you don't know what to do. This was Peter's checkmate. It comes in Acts chapter 12. The worship team can go ahead and start heading this way. Verse number 3 of Acts 12. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping. So Peter was cast into prison. He was doing all this mighty work for God. They called him out. They cast him into prison and they put all these soldiers. He wasn't just on the wall, which, by the way, our stories from earlier. We'll get back to those. So he's he's laying there between soldiers and he's pretty much done for. Checkmate. You did pretty good work. Pretty good work. You did some things, but now you're done. You're not just chained up. There are soldiers sleeping and, and huddling all around you. Checkmate. But let's look what happened. The king has one more move. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night when Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. Sound familiar? And raised him up. Does that sound familiar? Saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell from off his hands. There's a message inside that message. I'm going to leave that to you. Verse 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent me his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Pay attention to this. Verse 13. As Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. Remember, they had gathered together the church making prayer without ceasing for Peter. So he shows up to the house, led by the angel and led by the Lord, to the house where they're praying for him to be delivered. He's in chains and fetters and surrounded by soldiers. They're praying for him to be delivered. He shows up and knocks on the door. And this is what happens. Verse 14. When she knew Peter's voice, she did not open the gate for gladness, but she ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, they who have spent days and nights praying for Peter's deliverance, you are mad, you're crazy. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said, well, maybe it's his angel. Whatever that even means. But Peter, verse 16, continued knocking. When they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. The children of Israel were fearful and they cried out. We told you not to even bring us here. Now we're looking at the Red Sea and all of hell, all of Egypt is pursuing us from behind. And they yelled out, okay, checkmate. But God said, hold on a second. The king has one more move. 
And since he has one more move, the devil loses the move. I'm not only going to part the Red Sea, but I'm going to bring it in upon Pharaoh and his army and they're going to be done for. There is no checkmate there. We saw a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What ended up is Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fire, all three of them. And he said, checkmate. And God looked down from heaven and said, nope, I have one more move. And he showed up in the fire with them and he delivered them. Not only were they delivered, but they had a testimony that they didn't even smell like smoke. And they didn't have to bow down. And half the nation saw that testimony. And a lot of them repented. Paul and Silas were in prison. They were bound up. Remember, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Paul and Silas said, bad things don't really happen to good people. Opportunities happen to good people. And a lot of times they look bad. But if you'll stand there and shout, if you'll praise a little bit, if you'll worship the king of kings and don't believe the checkmate, always understand that he has one more move. God will shake the prison, knock the walls down, take the chains off. Checkmate. No, sir. One more move. Checkmate, Jonah. Absolutely not. Resurrection onto the shores of Nineveh. A group of people that worship a half fish, half man. Just saw a man come out of a fish. He's speaking about the God in heaven and the whole nation repented. Checkmate? I don't think so. Not only is Jonah going to live, everybody's going to hear the message and everybody's going to repent. Checkmate, Peter. No, sir. Delivered. Right out of those chains, right out of that prison. Here's where it speaks to you and me and gives us something a little bit extra. I don't know if you recognize exactly what happened in that portion of Scripture. Yeah, we know the checkmate and we know the king had one more move and it wasn't quite over. But look at what happened with the people of the church. They got together and prayed for days for Peter's deliverance. But they didn't really believe it could happen. They had a very low amount of faith. They prayed for the deliverance and the deliverance happened in a miraculous way. And Peter shows up and knocks on the door and they're like, that's not Peter. But you're praying for him to, to, to be delivered, but he's not going to be. We're just doing what we have to do. Maybe it's his angel. Well, go look again. And they finally figured out it was him and they totally flipped out. They didn't know what to do. So what does that mean for me and you? When your faith is low, when you're not exactly sure uh, if you're praying the right thing or saying the right thing, or if the fact that you're not sure how much you really believe it really matters, there is one thing in this world, in your life, in your spiritual walk that can overcome a low amount of faith. And that one thing is prayer. Just keep praying. Are you praying for deliverance, but you're not quite sure? The enemy doesn't want you to be sure. Sometimes the battle is difficult. Don't stop praying. Do you want Peter to be delivered? Don't stop praying. Is it hard for you to believe it? It's okay. Don't stop praying. Because when you start doubting, the enemy wants to whisper in your ear. Checkmate. Your prayer is done. It's not going anywhere. You don't even believe it. Checkmate. And heaven cries out. I'm still the king. The king has one more move. They're praying. They might be having a little bit of trouble believing it. There's a, there's a saying in Christianity. If you pray and believe, you shall receive. If you, play and, if you pray and doubt, you go without. I want to tell you that's not necessarily true. That's a cute little saying. It's a nice little cliche. But apparently, according to this portion of Scripture, it's not necessarily true. Sometimes prayer has the ability to overcome lack of faith. Let me tell you why. It's another misnomer in Christianity. You've been taught, not so much if you go here, but you've been taught that God, because He's all-powerful, can do all things. 
And I want to tell you that's not necessarily true. Yes, he can, but there's reasons why he doesn't. But there's actually one thing that you can do that God can't do. The one thing that you can do that God can't do is you can do all you can do. And sometimes that's what happens in life. You've tried your best at the job and you come home and say, honey, I've done all that I can do. Sometimes you go to the doctor and they work on you. They work on whoever, your friend, your family member, and you say, they say, sorry, we've done all we can do. Sometimes your family's broken up and you want to go visit your family. You want to bring them back together. You want people to know Christ and your friends are praying for you and your church is praying for you. And sometimes you just have to come back and say, I did all I could do. Sometimes you just try the most you can in life and things don't happen. And you have to say, I've done all I can do. Here's the good news. God has never said, I've done all I can do. He has never said that. And He has never done that. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. So if there's something going on in your life and you've done all you can do, that's kind of code for checkmate. And I want to tell you right now, that's just not true. I know your faith might be low. It might be hard for you to believe. But God has never done all that He can do. He's ready to show up. He's ready to show out. He's ready to get it done. Just don't stop praying. And to the capacity that you have, don't stop believing. 